Hello and welcome to the Booktopia podcast. My name is Bronwyn. I'm sitting here with fellow Booktopian Sarah McDooling and we are absolutely thrilled to be sitting across from Emily Rodder. Welcome, Emily. Thank you. Thrilled and starstruck. Yeah, a little bit starstruck. <laughs> I was saying before the podcast that literally every time I told anyone you were coming, the reaction was the same across the board. It was like, <gasps> Emily Rodder, coming. Oh, how that- welcome you make me feel. <laughs> It feels, I don't know, it just feels a little bit like children's book royalty, right? Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, how many people, I, I think I could talk to any person I know and they'd know who you are and they would have read you. I mean, I, we all have was, our go-to series yeah. depending on our age. Mine was Rowan O'Brien. Mine was Del Toro Quest. <laughs> and I was saying to Sarah, it, um, I just, I don't remember much of my childhood. I have a bad memory, but I have this so, such strong impression of, of your books. And they just made up so much of my childhood and ha- why I love reading. Mm. And it's, so that's why sitting across from you is like mind-blowing, you know. Thank you. I mean, really, I, I loved reading as a child so much myself and the books I read meant so much to me. It was one of the reasons I thought that, well, there couldn't be anything better than to be a writer of such, yeah. you know, stories. So to hear you say that is wonderful for me. I mean, these days I keep meeting people who were grown up with proper jobs like <laughs> who read my books when they were younger and it means so much to me. And it continues. It does. I know um, Star of Del Tora. I mean, you're actually here to talk about your new book, so perhaps we should deviate and yeah. talk about this exciting new book called The Glim. Can you tell the podcast listeners a little bit about it? Oh, it's hard to even know where to begin. The Glim <laughs> is... Um, a book I wrote inspired by the paintings of Mark McBride, fantasy paintings. It's the story of a, a boy um, who slips between worlds and has a quest um, to avert a terrible and destructive war between the dragons of the realm and, and the humans. Um, that's just to sort of scrape the surface of yeah. what it is because the glim is which is the world that is just behind that veil that we see in the clouds especially at the hours just before the sun sets um, it was the most I can honestly say it was one of the most magical experiences of my writing life writing it because of the way it began and you, yes, yeah, so Tell you us told us a that, bit yeah. about this before the podcast. It's an amazing story. Where did this first uh, beginnings of this story come from? Well, it, I was just sitting quiet, you know, working away in my writing room, actually tidying up because I had just finished uh, a project, was thinking about a new one. And I had this email from Mark McBride who, as people might know, you know, is a wonderful fantasy artist, but he, we worked together on the Del Toro Quest spin-offs and he did all the covers for Del Toro Quest, and in fact, his Del Toro Quest covers were used by most, almost all of the 30 countries who subsequently mm. published Del Toro Quest. He's, we always loved working together, really great. Anyway, I had, but, but we hadn't had a reason to speak, and I, for some years, I hadn't spoken to him, just sort of heard about his doings from other people and things like that. Anyway, I suddenly get this email, and he says, oh, I've been trying to write this book. Um, write it and also illustrate it. But I've been trying for years and years and years and I can't get the story. I can't make the story work. I've done 11 drafts, you know. Um, 
every time I change it, to, you know, thinking oh, I can make it better, I end up right doing more images. I've got about a thousand images on my computer. Um, and I just thought, you know, um, maybe, you know, you could think of a story or maybe you'd have some old story or something like that that would go with some of these images. Um, he says he had didn't think that I would, you know, pay any attention or that I would do it. And, of course, when I read this email, I thought, oh, isn't that sort of nice and isn't it sad he's having a problem um, because he's such a great artist? <laughs> I just thought, no, you know, it's not the sort of thing I would do because uh, I had You're ideas busy writing own. CBCA-winning novels. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I have, you know, I, I just had other things I would yeah. want to do, you know. Anyway, so then I opened the file of, that he sent me and it says 25 images and, honestly, they were just... So wonderful, so evocative, so utterly inspirational. I was sort of scrolling down. I thought, I can't believe this. I mean, these are just wonderful. And I started seeing pictures of my own straight away. And I thought, look at that. that, that look, they look like paintings that might be lined in a gallery. And you might walk along and look at them one by one and... And then before I knew where I was, I already had the beginning of the story. I had the name of the place. Glim means it's an old, old world word meaning radiance um, or light. Um, mm. It's an old world for lantern too. And I thought this place, um, it's just beyond the clouds there. Mm. It's just in certain places in the world, the veil is very thin between our world and the glim and this boy lives in one of them but this was nothing Mark had told me I just it just was so clear from his images that that's how it was going to go anyway so I very prudently I'm not usually prudent but I wrote, <laughs> <laughs> wrote back to Mark and said I'll have to think about this to see if I can do it you know mm. rather than jumping anyway but within a week I had a basic you know, a story within a month I had a synopsis to send him or more or less, I don't usually write synopses, but something to to show him what yeah. I was going to do, which was totally different from what he had done and uh, he didn't mind at all. He was, <laughs> you know, luckily we're, we're actually great fans of each other's work, you know. Yeah. <laughs> we really are. I mean, I think his, his images are fantastic. He likes my stories, Um so how great was that? So Well, what you're describing is clearly such a great exchange of inspiration. It, like those pictures seem to have just electrified They you. did and mm. it's never happened before. I've never done anything like this before, never. I mean, never has a painting or something made me mm. suddenly see this whole world. Mm. But, you know. It I, sounds like magic. Yeah. Oh, it well, does. It was like magic actually yeah. at the time. And, in fact, the people in my household, you know, my husband and the kids coming backwards and forwards will tell you. I mean, I was just electrified. Yeah. I sat there and worked on it like crazily. <laughs> Did my back in for months. <laughs> <laughs> well, it makes complete sense uh, for our podcast listeners who can't actually see. We've got copies right in front of us and they're just the most stunning books ever. The gorgeous hardback and they've got gold foil It's the and kind of book you can't see without wanting to open it. Yeah, exactly. Like. And I can, you know, just flicking through and seeing a few of those beautiful images I can so see just, just being like hooked. Some they are. Yeah. And so lavish. I mean, some of those images are the t- among the 25 that Mark sent me, 
an awful lot of them, of course, are new. Are new. Yeah. Uh, because obviously my story, you know, was... Although I have used the very key elements in almost all those 25, I haven't always used them in the way Mark intended. Yeah. It's just lucky, really, that I didn't know much more about um, what He's, he was doing. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't seem to mind at all. He sort of really loved the... And I think I think that was probably because the images were his his great thing. They were his... Yeah. That, that was what... You know, and, he, and he wasn't committed to the story that went with them necessarily. So when yeah. I did another one, he didn't mind at all. Well, and it must have been like seeing your work take flight in a different direction and well, I can't imagine anyone would mind if Emily Rotter was like yeah, you agree. know what I like your illustrations I want to write about them <laughs> oh well I don't know I yeah I don't know uh, about that because sure you might admire someone's work but you don't mm. necessarily want somebody changing your original inspiration but in Mark's case it it didn't matter he didn't yeah. mind in the slightest so that was great now we have this new fabulous book. Yeah, and now we've got this new fabulous. Well, I call it fabulous because it's I fabulous. It is fabulous <laughs> <laughs> because obviously I'm I'm still in love with it. Of you course, because it's, it's it's very so new. But um, it's a world that I'm. You know, it's got endless possibilities. I love to hear that because mm-hmm. I love I love the idea of more books in this world. I say having just <coughs> held this one in my hand for the first time today, but I already know that it's just. I will love start. it. Yeah. <laughs> I already love what I've seen. It yeah. does. It does just well, look like I, magic. I love it too because you know there's 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 such a wealth of paintings in it. Mm-hmm. You know, it really is genuinely as heavily illustrated as a graphic novel, while yeah. not necessarily being a graphic novel. It's quite unusual in that way. Uh, I mean, the publisher Scholastic has been very lavish with it, the allowance of you know full color like that. Hardcover, no, three hundred and fifty-five yeah. pages or whatever. I mean, it's a, it's a very lavish sort of production. It is, but you know, great. I say, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's um. I mean, I often say that I can't see like gold leaf and gold detail on a book without immediately wanting to own it, and this one has that. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> and we've both got our copies, yeah. and we're very excited to <laughs> add them to our bookshelves and with your old books and. Um, I just wanted to jump back a little bit because you've been, you have been publishing for so many years. It's 1984. Was that the first yeah. year you? I mean, that was my first book. That's amazing. And so you've you've been witness to so many years, decades of, of book publishing. Have you seen any changes, or is it? Is oh it heavens, the same? yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah. I mean, you know, when I started publishing, there was no such thing as a an ebook. Yeah. Yes, this yeah. is true. Um, there were no there was no computers. So <laughs> there were no online sellers either. Yeah. yeah. I mean the the whole situation has changed enormously. I mean as well as that when I started publishing, for example, it it's interesting that the glim is in hardback because um, or originally you had to do it in hardback or no one took it seriously. No one ever went into a straight into a um, paperback. paperback. Yeah, I've no, heard this. It was, yeah. it, was, uh, it was always a hardback and then mm. if it did well enough, you know, it would go into paperback. Um, and not many people were actually doing paperbacks at all. Right. I mean, you know, you'd usually sub-license to Penguin, for example. Wow. You know, if you wanted to do a paperback. Certainly it's not an like interesting thing. I mean, just they're just technical things. Uh, the other thing is, at the time 
Well, the, my first books, I suppose, were, they were, um, I suppose you'd call them magic reality or, you know, mm. yeah. Alice in Wonderland type. Mm. Like Finders tales. Keepers and... Yes. But then, um, then I wrote Rowan of Wren and at that time nobody was writing um, fantasy, yeah. Yeah. high fantasy for, you know, for that age group. And that actually was an interesting thing and it really did come out of the fact that I saw that my little sons, you know, who, who weren't great readers, uh, um, they got to be, <laughs> they weren't <laughs> What they really wanted to do was play computer games. Ah, uh-huh, of course. Um, and I used to, you know, uh, not play with them exactly because they were much better than I was, but I used to be with them. Mm. And I noticed how many of these computer games, I mean, they were the early ones, um, had taken fantasy elements, mm-hmm. you know, the three wishes, the, the shopkeeper who sells strange yeah. goods, you know, yep. the, all these, you know, the quest really, the saving yeah. the princess, you know, the old Mario Brothers. <laughs> the I thought, wait a minute, they've stolen our stuff. You know? <laughs> <laughs> these people, you know, and the kids love it. I can see they do. Mm. And so I wrote Rowan of Rin with not the faintest clue that any adult would like it. I, I thought it would just be the kids and I would, might never find a publisher, but it was interesting because it was the first book I wrote after leaving full-time work, you know. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because I had enough, I felt I had enough, you know, to leave full-time work and just be a writer. So I had this enormous sense of freedom because I could write during the day. Yeah, which yeah. <laughs> that would be I, nice. I hadn't yeah. been able to do before. And so I think that's what made me write Rowan of Rin, you know, that feeling of freedom and, and also that feeling I want to do a quest story, mm. you know, yeah. like that. So I, uh, it was supposed to be much shorter, but, it, you know, I got too interested in Rin. And it, I'm very glad you did because I <laughs> loved that, that. That was, like, very, very important to me as a kid. Well, it, you know, I think actually a lot of, a lot of people have said that and, mm. and it was important to me as well because it actually... Although, of course, I wrote many other uh, uh, books set in the real world, I also have written uh, now a lot of books set in, you know, well, Del Toro mm, came yeah. after Rowan. Yeah. And, uh, and I think the, that was the first you epic quest story I'd ever re- read, you know. And 30 countries published in. Yes. Yes, yeah. yes. Amazing. 30, it's 30, I think, it, and it's, it's more languages, I think. Mm. Um, That's phenomenal. It, it has, it yeah. was amazing and I hadn't realised this would happen and was most surprising to me. <laughs> uh, but when, it, when you think about it, that's because fantasy can transcend cultural barriers, mm. can't it? Mm-hmm. It really you can, know. yeah. Mm. We saw it with very different medium and age group, but with Game of Thrones. That yes. just sort of crossed everywhere. Yes, yes, that's and right. taps into some part of your imagination. Yes, and, and people respond to it. That's why, I mean, fantasy, I think, is... It's, it's still not, I think, intellectually respectable, if you know what <laughs> yeah. I mean. You know, uh, as I said, I didn't expect adults to like Rowan of Rin. I thought I might have trouble getting it published, as it happened. My publishers at Omnibus were thrilled and, you know, because mm. I said don't take it if you don't want to write you know, anymore because I actually have more to say about Rin, you know. But uh, Del Toroquest came because I wanted to write something a bit more complicated you know, yeah, and I'd got fascinated by the idea of collecting stuff. Yes, you know, the idea of collecting. So, uh, so that's where Del Toro Quest came from. 
But I didn't think it would be such a worldwide success. <laughs> I, I was hoping kids here would like it. I think often, you know, the ones that do become big international successes, uh, you would, they would, the author would probably say the same thing that they didn't know or didn't suspect, because because they were writing for themselves. Yes, and yeah. In, in that in that way, I mean, of course, you. I was also writing for an audience because I was I was determined to get those little boys who weren't reading yeah. and mm. were planning computer games, mm-hmm. including your own, including <laughs> my own to realise, you know, how getting into a book is like going into another place. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it, it gives you something that no film or game can do because mm-hmm. you're using your own your own visuals, you know, mm-hmm. in your own computer inside yeah. your head. Um, so, but I knew that to do that I had to make them short and I had to make them, you know, I had to make them full of action and not have... I, and it wasn't hard to do that. All I did was wrote, wrote in my normal way and then I cut them. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been hard, though. It wasn't. No, I mean, it, it was actually surprising. It, and, it, and what was fascinating to me, too, was that the more I cut, the more I cut, it was like, it was like polishing a gem. Mm. Wow. Because really what Del Torquest is is a tale. It's like a storyteller's tale. And so actually, the sparer it was, the better it was. Okay. I, I found, I thought, you know. So, yeah, that was good. And and thinking of the brain teasers, putting mm. in, because I, I thought I don't want illustrations in it because illustrations can look, can get old-fashioned after a time and mm. certain age groups can think they're a bit babyish to have illustrations. Oh, yeah. But what you can have is codes and maps and yeah. you know diagrams because that's okay yeah and uh, so I had I spent I guess a couple of years um, thinking about Del Toro before it actually happened but I'm glad I did it so oh, are we <laughs> yes so is the entire book industry <laughs> um, this is fascinating I love hearing mm. you talk about your work oh. <laughs> uh, can we talk a bit about your writing process you mentioned um how cool it was to start writing during the day is that your preferred time to write the mornings yes um the best thing for me absolutely the best I can't say I've been that good at it over this winter because you know it's dark and cold (laughs) at five o'clock but what I like to do best is to wake up quite early my local coffee shop where I go opens at 6 30 so if I can be kind of ready to go at, you know, 25 past six um, to the coffee shop. I have to drive to it uh, because <laughs> of where we live. Um, I That's great because then I can be back with a cup of coffee ready to start the day, you know, yeah. by quarter to seven. That's mm. ideal because, you know, nobody rings you at that hour. No. <laughs> uh, nobody even emails you really or anything like that. So you get a good... And then I can work through the morning. That's mm. the best time for me. It's really only when I'm when I'm finishing a book and I'm obsessive, you know, because I want to. I just can't stop. Yeah, that's really the only time that I deliberately write through the afternoon mm-hmm. or night, because I find I do my best work in the morning. Yeah, yeah. And do you have like a, a study or writing room? Or I do. Yeah, okay. I have. I have a lovely writing room. I used to, my husband Bob and I used to share a study, big study, um, but he, he, yes, he made me a, a room of my own, which actually, you know, because we sort of changed where we, 
the use of our house in a certain way. And actually, that it's been great because I've got all my stuff, all the yeah. things that I like that are my own things. Yeah. And uh, it's a small room, but it's got a beautiful view. Oh, nice. Nice, yeah. Not too distracting, though. No, <laughs> just, no. A, just, just enough the inspiration. odd sulphur-crested cockatoo comes along and looks through the glass. <laughs> oh, that sounds lovely. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, I feel like we could just keep talking forever and Easily. ever. Easily. Um, but we've taken up enough of your time. And we, thank you so much for coming in oh, and talking to us. It's been wonderful. <laughs> and we're so excited about this book and we think it's going to be amazing and I can't wait for everyone to go out and get themselves a copy. Hint, <laughs> hint, hint. Um, so thank you for joining us, Emily. Ah, oh, thank you for having me. And our podcast listeners, you can get The Glim and all of Emily Rodder's other books um, online at booktopia.com.au. Thanks for listening to the Booktopia podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes. And if your eyeballs need a workout, check us out on YouTube at Booktopia TV. And don't forget for all books featured on this episode and all episodes of the Booktopia podcast, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore at www.booktopia.com.au. Thanks for listening.